0: Good morning, church. Listen, new year, new week. I, I used the joke last week. Now I get to use one this week. This is the first that I've seen you all year. But I'm so glad we've made it through the holidays. You've made it through the holidays. Work has started back up. School has started. Praise God, our kids were actually excited to go back. We were excited for them to go back, but that's okay. And here's where we're at in January of 2020. We are beginning my third full year as your pastor here at Grace Pastor. Now listen, I didn't do it for all that. Some of you wanted to do it, some of you didn't want to do it. Those that didn't want to do it, I'm sorry you got gifted into doing it. My bad, but anyways. Now, I was voted in April of 21. You have put up with me throughout all of 22 and 23. And I shared with you, just before we started the Advent season that we've just come out of, that we needed to have the conversation as the church grows, as we reestablish what Grace Baptist Church is and what it looks like, we need to start talking about church leadership. We need to have the conversation on Constitution and bylaws. And if you're a guest today, thank you again for being here. I'm going to be honest with you, today we're starting a sermon series that isn't quite like others that we typically do. We will be digging into God's Word like always. And like always, we are worshiping through the reading of Scripture. That will never change. We are seeking God's direction. But today begins a sermon series that's more of a topical approach. Now, we're taking God's Word and we're going to pull out of it what is already there. We're not shaping a mindset and then making the Bible say what we think it says. No, we are still pulling out of the Bible, but for the next four weeks we'll be taking a biblical dive, making a case for elder and deacon leadership, distinguishing between the two offices, what the appointment looks like, what eligibility looks like in that process as well. At the end of four weeks, hopefully for us, then there's some more clarity at that point, and surely there will also be lots of questions. I hope that you have questions as we wrap this up, but in four weeks, when that time comes, we'll explain the steps going forward, what we look to do at that point. So for our text, I'm gonna ask that you turn actually what we did this last week, to the book of Acts. So Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, the four Gospels, then the book of Acts in the New Testament, the Acts of the Apostles. This is the foundation of the church, of the modern church, what you're sitting in. And this is where we believe the distinction between the offices of elder and deacon take place. Now, I'm going to ask that you just hold that spot there for a minute. We're not going to read just yet, but we're going to start with the foundation of the foundation. I don't even want us to jump into church history of it, but before we even get to church, how do we get to this point? And I'm going to take you back to Mark chapter 9, verse 35. You don't have to turn there. It's on the screen for you. But the whole purpose of it, the whole premise, Jesus says these words, and we'll explain it further. Sitting down... He called the twelve and said to them, If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and a servant of all. Now, let's give a little context to what this is. We don't want to, like I just said, cherry pick one verse out of it and then give an explanation. But you've got the disciples, that are walking down the road with Jesus, and Jesus turns around and says, What were y'all talking about? Now, that's the Clayton Standard version of it. That's not what it says in Scripture. But he knows their conversation, and sheepishly the disciples look at him, and they go silent because just like kids, when they realize that the parents were listening in, they don't really know what to say or whose finger to point at, but they know that they were saying some things that they weren't supposed to. They were having the discussion. They were arguing among themselves, as to who was the greatest. They weren't talking about Ali. They weren't talking about Jordan or Ruth. But among the twelve of them, who was the greatest disciple? And Jesus, well, being God and all, overheard and knew the conversation. And He calls them out. And at that point, He puts an end to the argument and informs them again. Mark 9, 35. If anyone wants to be first, he must be last and a servant of all. And like any good teacher or parent, unfortunately, Jesus knows he's got to repeat himself. He has this same conversation. This is in Mark 9. He has it again in Mark chapter 10. And then if you flip back to Matthew, he has it twice in the book of Matthew, also in chapter 20 and then verse 23. It's also mentioned in Luke 22 as well. Why is it in there so many times? Well, of course, it's different accounts, but also the disciples didn't get it. If you go back and look at the other accounts of it, James and John's mother even comes in and says, Jesus, would you just go ahead and call my boys the greatest among all of them? Because they really are better than everybody else. They didn't get the point to be the greatest, to have position to have title, to have anything real or imagined that looks like authority, one must see themselves as least, as less than, as a servant, using language that we don't like to use today, but literal translations, to see yourself as a slave to others. And as we embark on this journey for church leadership at Grace Baptist Church, there is no other attitude, no other quality, no other personality than that which we are trying to put in position other than someone who wants nothing more than to be a servant to others. And over the next four weeks, this verse will be our constant. We will bring it up. We will start with it every single week. As a church, we must be on the same page. That that's the type of leadership we want. Someone that starts at the bottom and stays at the bottom. Now, pick up in Acts chapter 6. Begin reading with verse 1. We'll run through verse 7. Here we go. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number, there arose a complaint by the Hellenistic Jews against the Hebraic Jews that their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution. The twelve summoned the whole company of the disciples and said, It would not be right for us to give up preaching the Word of God to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, select from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we can appoint to this duty." But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole company. So they chose Stephen, a man full of faith in the Holy Spirit, probably you've heard of him, and Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a convert from Antioch. They had them stand before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. verse 7, so the word of God spread, the disciples in Jerusalem increased greatly in number, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. Let's pray together. Oh God, as a church, we're treading on new territory. And Lord, while it's different, while there are questions and maybe a lack of understanding, at our foundation, Lord, let us seek You. Let our desire be to follow You in obedience to Your Word and to nothing else. Oh God, as we continue in worship through the reading of Your Word, soften our hearts, Strengthen our minds, encourage our resolve as we look forward, knowing you're already there and you already prepare a path for us to obedience. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, let's lay a little bit of groundwork. Where are we at as far as the church goes in Acts chapter 6? This is shortly after the ascension of Jesus Christ. This is first century church, and buddy, they are booming. They are doing extremely well at this point in time. The Holy Spirit has descended upon them. They have now become equipped and empowered. The apostles, the new believers, everybody in their brother. Now, as any church comes about, it takes about that long before some type of tension or strife comes about in the church setting. Go figure. And here's what you've got. Two different groups of people. You've got Hellenistic Jews, which means more than likely their background was through a Greek-speaking background. Probably didn't originate in the Jerusalem-Judea area. They could have moved there, become transplants, but been there long enough. They've got a Hellenistic, uh, kind of a hodgepodge background, primarily in the Greek. But then you also have the Hebraic Jews, and these are your OGs right here. These are the ones that have been around, have been in Jerusalem, have been in Judea, probably witnessed as much of Jesus' ministry as could be, and they also have an Aramaic-speaking background, which we believe is also the same language that Jesus spoke. So you've got two different types of people from two very distinct backgrounds. The only thing we know about them is that they're labeled Hellenistic and Hebraic. Most scholars believe that this is just the tip of the iceberg of several other theological differences that they would have had. And essentially what you have, the Hellenistic Jews who are kind of the outsiders trying to become insiders, they are converting to Christianity at a greater pace at this point. Seemingly why, we're not really sure, but we just know what they are. And they are proclaiming listen, this other group, the Hebraic Jews, they are getting, their widows are getting preferential treatment. The church was taking in a lot of food and then trying to distribute the food to as many widows as they could, serving the needs as best as they could. However, some of those Hellenistic widows were getting overlooked. You could say that the Hebraic Jews, because they were on their home turf, their home territory, they were getting a little of their own home cooking while the other group, even though it was more represented, was being left out of some of the daily distributions. Not the type of issue that any church wants to be in, but it sparks the leadership, the apostles, to intervene. So when we see the twelve in the text, it's capitalized. It is the understanding that this decision comes from the apostles. Those that had been with Jesus, those that had been included as apostles when Judas died and was no longer one of the disciples, then all of a sudden you've got this group and they say, okay. they come to the consensus. There is additional leadership that is required. For us to do our job, we need others that will take on tasks as well. And as the church grows, this first century church, the capacity of the twelve is starting to spread a little thin. So they bring the whole company, assuming a large number of the growing population, as much as they could, bring them together, and they express the way that they see their priority of leadership. The twelve, the apostles, the leaders of the first church, they say, listen, the needs of the people do not need to be neglected, but we must keep on preaching and ministering God's work. They are in agreement. It's not for them to take it upon themselves to carry the weight of the dist- distributing of food or waiting on tables, as they put it. And they shouldn't do so at the expense of neglecting their duties as men of prayer and preaching God's word. The instructions then are given to those that issued the complaint find seven men with these characteristics. Now notice, we're not talking about qualifications. Give me a couple of weeks. We'll get to those as well. But these characteristics. Now notice, we'll get into all that other mess about what qualifies, what disqualifies. That's coming. But these characteristics should fit any person employed or put in position by the church. You start off with good reputation. If I could be frank, make it self-explanatory. They didn't want anybody in charge that was going to be a jerk to the other people. You laugh. But how many times, how many churches do we empower the wrong people with a wrong reputation? So notice that. Okay, Now, good reputation. Full of the Holy Spirit. This is another one that gets us in trouble. Not just a believer, not just someone who has been baptized, but someone who is full of the Holy Spirit is someone striving to grow in their faith in Jesus Christ actively. Active in repentance. Active in church attendance. Active in the worship of tithing. Active. Continual. Not content to be the same type of Christian that they've always been for a very long time. Lastly, also, wisdom. Practically minded. Able to listen to both sides. Able to make a decision. And then in verse 5, you know all those names that were listed. We got seven names of the men that were presented before the church. And you know what they all have in common? Every single one of them were Greek. Every one of them. Greek names. So not only where the Hellenistic Jews heard, but then also they were allowed to select people from within the group who enlisted or who asked for help. They were being helped by some of their own. Not that the Hebraic Jews wouldn't have stepped up to the plate, but it does make it more meaningful that leadership came from within, developed from within where the issue originated, and now they have a hand in seeing that it's taken care of. What does it mean then for the apostles to implement a plan so quickly? Verse 4, so they can continue. I emphasize this. They can continue to devote themselves to prayer and the ministry of the Word. All sides at this were in approval. Finally, verses 6 and 7, the men nominated were then approved by the laying on of hands of the apostles and them praying over them. That sealed the deal. When the apostles do that, anytime time in Scripture, that was the period to the sentence. Even if the position was one that served mainly as a practical means like was being developed, this was a new position taken seriously, a position that was upheld, and conditions were put in place. Then, as seen so often in Acts verse 7, what happens? The church continues to grow. The church allowed themselves room and infrastructure to grow so that they would be prepared to take on more and more believers as well. Now, This is pretty surface level. We're not going to go much further than what this has. And I know you've got plenty of questions, but before we dig so deep into the details about positions and titles and what this means and how much and what should we do and how does this work, before we do anything, there are three takeaways that we want to get from today. This first one being of the utmost importance. Number one, understand From Acts chapter 6, what we see throughout the rest of Scripture that we're going to uncover, there is a distinction. A distinction in title, in job. In the first century church, just as Jesus has ascended to heaven and the very first church has come about, church is growing at a rate that they cannot keep up with by meeting the needs of others. So those that were called by God, those that were developed by Jesus Christ and equipped to be in charge of the first church, they were given the wisdom by the Holy Spirit to develop a new position. Not an extension of their own, but a new one with new responsibilities. A distinction in offices. Those who primarily preach and pray over the congregation and those who perform the practical, physical needs of the church. For the apostles, for those twelve, it doesn't mean that they are above the practical means. It doesn't mean that they are exempt from caring for the needs of the church and therefore leaving those tasks undone. No, no, no. It doesn't mean that they are too good for the people or too good to perform some of these one-on-one tasks. But it does mean that they needed the help of others to specifically fulfill those needs. It does mean that though they are the twelve, they decided to delegate some of their responsibilities onto others and that became their essential ministry. And it became essential for the growth and health of the church to be maintained. And this allows the apostles to focus on their primary Calling. Yes, there are secondary and tertiary callings of ministry, but their primary calling is just what they said it was: administering to God's Word and praying for the people. And this understanding is the basis, is the foundation of a church elder. The second position, more than likely you picked up on it. The seven that were brought into the mix. They are not granted the title of apostle. They are not given a seat at the same table. They are not called apostle for various reasons. But this new position given to the first church for those that will serve the physical needs, the Greek term that you don't see here, but in other parts of Scripture, is the Greek reference of Diaconus, or as we call it, the deacon. These are the first deacons. That's the main point of today. We're going to pick out a couple of other things, but just walk away knowing today we see in Acts chapter 6, most biblical scholars, as churches are being developed today, there's a distinction between an elder and a deacon. Number two, though. Regardless of the title, regardless of the position, we're going to go back to the character just a little bit. Point number two, the character. Each of those characteristics, what do they deal with? It deals with the internal of a person the internal of a person, the soul of a person, if you will. Less so, the external. It doesn't matter what they look like, what they dress like, or who the person is when they started coming to the church. These types of men are employed for active duty to go into work, whether it be apostle or or whether it be deacon or elder, in this case, apostle. They're employed for active duty to get their hands Dirty, specifically for those that had been neglected. But the priority of those who uphold the position or deacon or of deacon or elder rests again on the characteristic of reputation. People that have already established the respect of others within the congregation. Someone who's thought highly of. Doesn't mean that they automatically wield the biggest sword. Doesn't mean that they already came in with the most power. But someone that's well thought of. Now, second thing, I stress it again someone full of the Holy Spirit. It does not mean that they had just received salvation and been baptized. Did not imply that they had been a Christian for a really long time. No. This person is actively pursuing a relationship with Jesus Christ where they're becoming less like themselves and more like Him. Lastly, in wisdom, they're practical, methodical to an extent. Not a knee-jerk reaction kind of person. Able to make tough decisions, weighing options and considering other viewpoints while... Humbly seeking God's direction on all matters. When considering people for these positions in our time, the church should not be looking for one that has the most clout. The church is not looking for the big, bad bosses that will come in, consolidate power, and then exert their will upon others. I don't know how much you hear or read about in the school system, but nowadays, this is what you call, by definition, a bully. (laughs) It's a bully. Someone who comes in, consolidates power, and then tries to exert their will, exert their power over someone else, by definition, tell me if I'm wrong, SB, that is a bully. Now, in our school system, you've got people all the time who will overuse the term bully, And it's a real problem, yet at the same time, we want to pin the label on people without definition. Unfortunately, in church, and this is modern church, Americanized church, not this one specific, but everyone throughout time in church, for some reason, we've done the opposite. We've looked for these people, we've highlighted and pinpointed who these people are, and then said, man, they'll make a great deacon. subconsciously we've had a tendency to allow the bullies to be the one to take the power and run with it when it comes time to choose and develop leaders sometimes it's the ones who don't want the position or those that don't desire the position are the ones that fit and give the best execution the best showing of those characteristics that we seek. one so humble as to think themselves unworthy while putting the needs and wants of others as more important than their own, that's the kind of deacon or elder that you want. All right. third, what does this even mean for Grace Baptist Church? Throw it all together. Advancing the conversation just a little bit because I know you're asking this to yourself. Real talk for just a moment. Through various seasons in the life of Grace Baptist Church, whether it be now or whether it was at Gilmer Street Baptist Church, decisions have been made. And decisions are always having to be made and they build on one another. And you at least get to the point where you're stuck with what you got. What is our current organization structure? Me. Sorry about it. Me. Full-time pastor and a part-time bivocational staff. And if you're listening to this, I used air quotes. If you're seeing it online, you guys saw me here. I used air quotes. Why? Because we pay our bivocational staff pennies on the dollar of what they should be giving, yet expecting a full-time job from them. Again, a lot of that's as a result of lots of decisions, many decisions even before I got here, and we're working our way to get out of that as we pay off our church building debt that's left, we want to take care of this. Personally, I believe that that is one of the biggest detriments of our church at the moment. Conversation for another day. But based on our church model, like it or not, know it or not, I am a single elder. And yet still at this point, we have no deacons. Now, a lot of that is based on decisions that I've made. I'll take accountability for it right now. Going back to some conversations that we've had in the past, I've presented it a few times, but I've always said that we as a church would be better off doing without than rushing to the putting of someone in place that happens to be the wrong person. I don't want us to get caught in that. But now is the time to make some changes. And over the next few weeks, bear with me, we'll dig deeper. Today, it's all about getting in the Scripture. It's identifying in Scripture the way that the first century church had it done. We want that to be our model, our template. And what are the benefits of this? Well, I'm not going to stand here and say, if we do this, then by golly, our church is going to grow. That's silly. Now, are there some pastors or preachers that would want to say that, that would want to put that before a church? Yeah, unfortunately there are. I'm not going to make that claim. However, I will say this. If we as a church, align our structure on biblical grounds. We, we walk in and we say that we're a Bible-believing church. That means, boy, if it says it, we might ought to do it. Amen. Just making sure you're still with me. Now, if we further allow, give opportunity for our paid ministers to minister the way that they're supposed to, to do what they are called to do, if we allow our pastor, elder, to focus on the teaching, preaching, prayer, and vision of the church. And then we have deacons who are in place as servants to serve the needs of those in the church. I can't help but think that you create and define a proper lane for each person, for each team member, all working together. And with this foundation, you set yourself up to where you look a whole lot like the first century church. You set yourself up to grow. Just as they did, they grew larger in number, sure, but we want to be a healthy church. We want to establish this foundation of biblical principles so that we can grow on top of it and sometimes those pieces that you want to build on, they don't fit quite just right. So if a piece needs to be sent back or kicked out or whatever, you can implement it in someone else and the whole deck of cards doesn't come falling down. That's the whole point of it. We want to be able to sustain our growth in a healthy way. It gives better organization, better structure. It expands the reach of the church further into the community, which is what we spent our entire last service talking about last week. We want to make an impact in the community. If we want to get the name of Grace Baptist Church out there, we better have some type of structure and organization for when they get here to take care of them. And from there, you begin raising up leaders from within and equipping others to serve in the same capacity. That's the kind of church that I want to be a part of. That's the kind of church I want my children to grow up in. One that cares for them. Ones that will develop them and equip them to lead. So that when this other generation becomes the elders and the widows and the widowers, they know how to properly take care of them as well. So, with that being said, I'm going to ask the band to come on up. As we wrap this up, I I know that you've got to have questions. I'm going to pose you with a few as well. Why do we have these conversations? Why do we pick a Sunday morning to begin having them? Why do we desire so greatly to do what the Bible says? Why is it so important of us believing in God's Word and to do it? Well, look, bottom line... Simple foundation of the foundation of the foundation. We are here to worship and celebrate Jesus Christ. Period. We do that through our actions. We do that even through our church leadership organization. Now, if you're here today and you're unsure of what it means to follow Jesus Christ, if you don't understand what it means to surrender to Jesus, what it means for salvation to take place, why we need salvation, look, that is our primary ministry. If you've got questions on that, come talk to me. I'll be over here on the front row. Pastor Jake is sitting right behind me. You can talk to him when Pastor Mark gets done singing and sweating. Me too, man. You can talk to him after the service as well. We want to make sure that care is taken care of first and foremost. But during this time of response as we sing this last song, what can you do as a church? Pray. Pray for direction. Pray for men to step up. Pray for clarity. Pray for the process. Pray for direction. And maybe most importantly, pray for obedience of us as a church. Let me start us off in prayer and then we will sing and go from there. Oh God, Lord, we are not asking for You to align Your will to us. We pray in the name of Jesus, in humility, in surrender, that we at Grace Baptist Church align our will with Yours. Lord, with that being a fervent, honest prayer, we believe according to Your Word You make our path straight. You give us clarity on what to do next. Father, we pray for obedience. God, give us direction. Give us guidance. Let us have the right conversations as we grow closer as a unit to develop and equip those that desire nothing more than to be a servant. Thank you, God. Ultimately, that none of us here are worthy to take on this task. The only reason we may be called so is because Jesus Christ lived the perfect life died on a cross for our sins, resurrected, sits at the right-hand throne of God, and because of His sacrifice for our sins, we can be called righteous. Not based on anything we've done, but all based on the work of Jesus. Lord, that, that our, let that be our focus. We love You. We need You. We declare today, Lord, for Your way to be seen and performed in our lives. Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to Grace Baptist Cartersville podcast. If you would like more of Grace Baptist Cartersville, make sure you check out our GBC Young Adults podcast. Also, make sure to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and our services on YouTube.